Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to Reliscopes, the Relationship Science Insights podcast. I'm here today with Marjorie Liborel, who is an international matchmaker and relationship expert. Marjorie, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Hello. Um, I, I'm really excited to chat to you today. I don't think I've talked to a matchmaker so far on my show before, so you'd be you'd be the first one who's been on, and that's really cool. Um, tell me a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Right. So I am French. Um, I might have lost my accent, my accent because my Australian uh, partner helps me a lot with that. But uh, back in the day, so I actually trained as a diplomat and I landed into the heart of Europe, which was Brussels. And um, I accidentally became a matchmaker there some years ago. Um, so I was managing a very bespoke introductions agency um, throughout Europe. I was managing the Belgian branch for it. Uh, I'm initially trained as a sociologist and in political science. Um, so um, I sort of ended up counseling people that I was supposed to work with. Um, so quite high level profiles and matching them with suitable potential partners and counseling them about their love lives. So I've been doing this now for six to seven years. Um, and about two years ago, I moved to Australia for my partner, who's Australian. And I think I was, it was hard, it was a hard decision to make. Um, but if somebody has to show example and sometimes, you know, advice people know ways to think of their career, that will be me. So I've decided to just step in and follow the love of my life to the other side of the planet. So I've created my own, um, introductions agency now. It's been about two years and I have clients all over the globe, mainly in Europe and in Australia. And I match them either locally or internationally and I help them also, um, having fulfilling, fulfilling love lives. That's that seems like um, a very interesting transition between diplomat um, to to matchmaker and relationship counselor. Was that an was that an easy transition for you? Absolutely not, and it hasn't been sudden. Um, so I, I arrived in Brussels to work for the European Union, and uh, I've been doing this um, for almost three years. But that was very very disappointing for me because I felt I wasn't as useful as I could be. And uh, I didn't see a lot of meaning. Um, so it was a long path of self-discovery. Um, I've always looked for meaning in my life and my professions. And so I've done, I've worked in marketing for a while. And then I took also my aggregation with sociology, which means the highest diploma um, in order to be teaching. So I've been teaching sociology for a few years, which was really fantastic. Um, and it gives, it's a powerful tool, social sciences to sort of understand society. Um, but it was also stable. There was a lot of movements with the, the teaching contracts and the lecturer's contracts. And one day I was on LinkedIn in my bed during the summer vacations. And in I saw this ad, um, about this bespoke agency looking for a private matchmaker and a co-manager of the Belgian branch. 
And I said, oh, I'm quite adventurous. And I said, oh, you know what? I'll just go for it. Who cares? And uh, I applied. Haven't heard back for a few weeks. And finally got interviewed and got the job. And it sort of changed my whole life since um, on all aspects. So no, it hasn't been clear cut. Um, it's been a journey of self-exploration to land here. Uh, that's really cool. That's I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on that and yeah. your journey um, <laughs> yeah. to get here. Um, but I guess our, our episode today is about um, romantic passion and maintaining romantic passion alongside our personal growth and our self-discovery. Um, and we... I guess before we kind of dive into that, we've got a segment called Have You Met um, Marjorie Limerell, where I ask you a couple of questions about yourself um, and get to know you a little bit better before we kind of get into our main topic. Are you happy to answer them? Yes, of course. Fantastic. Um, so my first question is, what is your favorite book? So I read about, I don't know if I can, two books a month. Uh, so I have multitudes, a lot of books that I love. It depends what we're talking about. So I've decided to choose two or three. Um, one of them is erratic intelligence because that's in line with the topic today. Uh, from Mr. Perel, I don't know if you know her. She's a superstar. Okay. Um, she's also from Belgium um, and a fantastic psychotherapist. Uh, so that will be the first one because she sort of explains how to cultivate, and we'll talk about it later, erotic intelligence and intimacy within the relationship. Uh, and how to navigate also different paradoxes like the security versus adventure paradox. So that's, that's the first one. Then uh, there is definitely the book called Attached, which has been in itself a revolution, um, which, called, which talks about different attachment types. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And it just takes the attachment theory that was developed by John Balby in the 60s to study children behavior. Uh, and it's applied to romantic partnerships as well and relationships. It's very, very interesting um, and groundbreaking. And there will be another one, but it's a, it's a French book. It's basically the biography of a very epic couple. Um, he was one of the cartoonists of the newspapers that got attacked in 2015, and she was his wife. Um, and it's called The Taste of the Good Life. Uh, and it's about a couple that has been married for 47 years and has been able to navigate with a lot of fantasy and originality uh, and created a beautiful and long-lasting love story. And this is amazing, but it's in French and it's not translated. Well, hopefully we'll get a translation um, soon. But I, I'm of the opinion that more book recommendations are better than just one. <laughs> the more the merrier. So thank you. Thank you. We got three of them instead of one. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> um, what about um, a movie, a favorite movie? So I'm I'm also a francophile when it comes to movies. I There's a lot of French movies that I love. However, I have a big passion for Danish cinema. And one of my favorite movies, and the theme is very, very dark, but it was created in 1998, sorry. So it's quite an old movie that received many, many awards like the Palm in Cannes, for example, or the Berlin uh, Movie um, mm -hmm. Prize. And uh, that's called Festen, which means party in Danish. And it's about unveiling very toxic family um, dynamics. Uh, there is a story of pedophilia, so it's a very harsh theme. However, it's absolutely brilliant about how it shows um, the loyalty, the power games within the family. Um, it's, it's brilliant. And the way it's shot as well. 
Absolutely. Definitely one for people to check out, um, <laughs> obviously, if they're in the right mindset <laughs> for something a bit darker. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. What about um, a podcast that you've been listening to lately? I'm absolutely obsessed with this podcast called Extraordinaire, meaning extraordinary. Um, and it's about love stories. Uh, it's an absolute hit in the French speaking world. Uh, and it's about people just telling their love stories, incredible things, you know, people who get back together after 10 years or um, people who are very hopeless about a, a romantic history and when things turn out to work out fine or, you know, people who go through loss. So it's, it's absolutely amazing. I think people have a sense, a very, a big interest in stories in general because they can relate to them. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think, um, I don't know if we have, I think we do have an equivalent um, in uh, English, but I'm sure, I, I don't think we have a regular one or a weekly one. I think there's a yeah. seasonal one from the New York Times probably around somewhere, but hopefully someone will translate a transcript hey, I'm or sorry for giving or... you a lot of French, French references. <laughs> No, I'm sh hopefully there's at least one person listening that is fluent in French. <laughs> and maybe, you know, I used to learn French in high school. So maybe this is my sign to pick it up again <laughs> and start learning. <laughs> Who knows? Um, okay. Uh, what about a famous role model um, that you've been looking up, that you've looked up to? Oh, I've got many once again. Um, there is a very... It's related to a movie that I've loved. Um, it's the character of Erin Brockovich with Judah Roberts. I don't know if that rings a bell to you, but I absolutely admire, right, this, this single mother with a poise and her intelligence who's got zero former knowledge about how to do what she does, but who manage, manages through just hard work and intelligence, pure intelligence. Um, so that's, that's really um, a nice, nice character to admire. I love Mel Streep for the way she ages with beauty and calmness as well. Um, and I love just actors who are just very human and show their humanity and their vulnerability, like Robin Williams or um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who unfortunately all passed away, um, but who were absolutely brilliant for their humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Robbie Williams was a fam favorite of mine as well. Um, yeah. And it, it, is, is it, it is a tragedy that he, he is not with us um, anymore. Yeah. Um, what about the last course that you completed? So I'm currently completing um, a, t a coaching accreditation within the International Coaching Federation, which is a great, great training in order to further help my client. Uh, so it's something I'm still about to complete. It's a lot of work. Um, and uh, so the last one I completed otherwise would be my sociology um, degree a few years ago. Fantastic. Um, that's amazing. Uh, congratulations and good luck with the current course you're doing, the coaching course you're doing as well. Thank you. Um, but we've we've gotten to know you now. Um, and uh, so we can move on, I guess, to the main point um, of our episode today, which is about romantic passion um, and learning how to maintain your romantic passion while also um, working on your personal development. Um, our 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 let me rephrase our podcast, um, our show is about relationships in general. So I wanted to start really broadly. What is a relationship to you? How would you describe a relationship? Yeah. So um, in the big lines, I would say that uh, a relationship is any type of connection between two people, um, but there are several types of relationships and uh, there are family relationships, which are complex in themselves. They're all complex, right? Friendships, 
acquaintances, which is not quite the same degree, work relationships, romantic relationships, right? Um, and within the romantic relationships, we can have platonic relationships, sexual relationships. There's a whole wide range of relationships. Now I will focus on the romantic ones, right? And um, yeah, I think that when you talk about a romantic relationship, we're mainly talking about some form of physical attraction between two people and a sense of intellectual connection. Uh, we can have both. We can have one of the two. Um, depends. Um, but we are absolutely social animals and relationships are part of our lives and uh, they're, they're crucial uh, to our well-being. If you, if you look at the Maslow Pyramid, for example, they're one of the you know um, five, five levels. Yeah, yeah, no, we we definitely agree with that um, on this show. Um, in your opinion, do you, you know romantic relationships specifically? Do they still hold the same meaning and structure, and and maybe same the same kind of importance as they did decades ago? Oh, I think they play an absolute, if not too important, role nowadays, and they prevail in our lives. And we have such a strong, if not obsession, almost obsession for romantic relationships, and. I think throughout um, history, and I think literature is quite a good example and a good tool to to sort of see how relationships evolved. But there's been, for example, if we think about um, Romeo and Juliet or um, Tristan and Isolde, I don't know if you know it. It's a medieval um, fairy tale. Medieval tale. Um, it's there's always been the love, and the love was often impossible uh, and contradiction of the social order, which was. Um, you know the acceptable and so there was a lot of arranged marriages for example which were not um based on love right um and all in Romeo and Juliet for example the families hate each other and they cannot really fully love each other so it ends in tragedy now um there was a real conflict for many many centuries between those two aspects the reasonable and the passion um and also after the industrial revolution um love was completely put aside it was all about keeping capital and dowry and you know, um, having financial arrangements. However, since um, I think I would say the 19th century or the 20th century, there's been an explosion of feelings and psychologization of society um, where now, you know, we choose our partner and uh, unions and, and marriages are based on love, which is a very fragile and volatile notion. So this is also why we end them. When there's no love, there's no more marriage. It becomes very complex. So, of course, they play a crucial role nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that passion, which we're going to talk about um, a bit more, is such an important part. Like you said, it's something that we value in our relationships today. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. a bit too much, Which, but yeah, we can discuss that. <laughs> abs- well, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> my next question, how do you define romantic passion? Um, well, I would say it's a combination of lust uh physical so as we said earlier physical attraction deep connection um but and we tend to see it as short term however though i think a form of passion can be sustained over the years um but it requires work and you know there is a common say people say oh passion doesn't last i don't think that's necessarily true but i think that sustaining that passion requires knowledge and tools and dialogue between two partners and will Yeah, absolutely. And and how do you feel that how, how do you feel that it affects 
you know, the relationship itself, when it is there, when it isn't there, well, what is its importance um, to the health of a relationship? I think that, um, you know, it keeps people interested and engaged and um, it sort of provides novelty, uh, which is important in the long run because um, there, when there is a decline of, uh, of interest and um, and new feelings and uh, I think people, yeah, things tend to become quite dire, right? And one of the two often lose interest and start to seek happiness elsewhere. So passion is a crucial component, yet it's like a flower that needs to be constantly watered. Um, yeah. Um, and you said earlier that you feel like it's almost too important. <laughs> what, what what did you mean by that? Let's dive into that. Well, I just sort of, from experience, what I've seen is that there is a lot of, well, the social media, the movie sort of portray all these crazy stories, these beautiful stories, and we feel like we have to live a fairy tale every day. Um, and, and no, there are some, you know, dollar aspects of life that we have to take in account and go through as well. There is some drama. I think this is where real commitment also starts. Like it's nice to have passion, especially within the first years. Um, but it needs to also survive the major trauma and difficulties that life brings and throws at us, right? Like the, the death or if you have a partner who starts drinking or if, um, you know, I lose my job tomorrow, I want to make sure that he's going to be there for me as well. Um, so, uh I sort of feel that social apps, I mean, digital apps and social media have also made it extremely easy to consume love stories and, and you know, human beings. Uh, I always become sort of a little bit lazy as well. Um, so I sort of see, and I love to see myself as a sort of ecologist when it comes to relationships, because I really want to bring back, and this is what matchmaking is about, uh, a trend, which is invest in your long-term relationship if, because it's worth it. And because the grass is always greener elsewhere. Um, but you're going to keep reproducing the cycle over and over again as soon as the passion fades away. So it's more about sustaining that, I believe. Um, so I guess in in kind of what do you feel is the relationship between this romantic passion um, and kind of our own like self-growth and, and, and personal discovery? What Do you think they're linked together at all? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're very, very linked and it's a very good point. Um, by engaging themselves in a journey of self-exploration and personal development, um, individuals usually gain a better understanding of themselves and their needs. And so they direct, I mean, they go towards a more authentic and more fulfilling relationships, um, relationship. And one is, um, when one is interested in pursuing a path of self-development, one develops like a capacity for empathy compassion but also vulnerability which is the key to sustain, i mean to sustaining intimacy to me on the long run um so yeah it makes people more self-aware also and more confident and it can enhance their attractivity to others absolutely i love that you put it a kind of in a way that's so easy for people to digest as well um how in your experience what are kind of the the misconceptions around this link between romantic passion and personal growth uh there is a few uh i think that the first misconception misconception will be that passion should come naturally without any effort well that's it in the first days but then it's not the case anymore it's something that requires effort and intentional actions to maintain right um initial attraction and chemistry they come naturally as i said at the beginning uh but you have to communicate and you have to yeah uh, put things in place like surprise each other go for dinner and talk and ask each other questions 
Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the second misconception is that, yeah, personal growth is not necessarily a solitary journey. Uh, and I think it's even more powerful when there's a partner involved. Um, and it's often influenced by the people around us, including our romantic partners. Um, so this is why I think it's crucial to, to encourage each other um, and, and also maintain some individual interests. So I think life, a balanced couple and relationship should be about moment of self-exploration and moment of common exploration. Yeah. It's kind of like a, um, a, both of them seem to affect each other and that there's that, that personal, that, that cultivation of the romantic relationship, which can improve your like kind of personal development journey, but your personal development journey can also improve how, how you cultivate your relationship with Absolutely. your partner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not, they're not, in, it's one of the common misconceptions actually that people have, they're not separate. They go, they go together, you know? Um, that definitely agree with you. And also we need to, um, have regular, as I said, check into just called goals and desires, you know, um, and have affectionate gestures as well, and not just be functional because what I've seen in, especially in Australia, to be honest, is something that struck me a lot is that a lot of people and couples are highly functional and they have mortgages to pay. They have a lot of responsibilities, you know, they have to take care of the kids, but to just become really powerhouses, they barely talk to each other. And this is this is the problem also of modern society today is that we are relying on very small entity that is the nuclear family, um, and so we have very little space for the relationship because we used to have children taken care of by the elderly, or and it's still the case, but it's not as much as it used to be. When you lived in the village, everybody had a specific function, right? And today we are isolated with our very expensive mortgages in our houses. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like, um, how, how does a, a lack of passion um, affect, I guess, uh, your kind of self-growth journey and, and vice versa as well? How, how, does, how does a kind of um, truncated personal development journey affect um, perhaps your relationship? with your partner how, how do they kind of tie in I, I guess the lack of each each one um affect the other yeah I'm not sure if I worded that very well um but yeah I think you mean how can the lack of um is that the second question like a lack of personal growth can lead to stagnation yes. of a relationship yes yes yeah. yeah right um well I mean if individuals remain stagnant then they also tend to be more predictable and they lose their sense of excitement and novelty um, and this is crucial to maintain a healthy and passionate relationship. Um, they also, I think people who are also not growing or stop growing are not good communicators and, you know, they're just not interested in developing or having new experiences with their partner. Um, so I think in summary, like personal growth and self-discovery, like they're crucial for individuals like to maintain a healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah. how, how can, how can a how can partners support each other um, in in kind of their individual, both their individual journeys, um, personal growth journeys, but also their journeys together? How how can they support each other and 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 help each other along? 
Yeah, I think it depends. So if you've got kids, for example, this is also even trickier, right? Um, I've got a fantastic, well, I'm going to speak from two experiences, um, but my own and also I've got a fantastic couple of friends um, who have, according to me, one of the healthiest relationships I've ever seen and they will recognize themselves here. <laughs> um, been together for 21 years and they've been through a lot of challenges. Um, she had a massive awakening lately about realize that her corporate career was just not fulfilling and uh, she was just surviving and um always loved her husband but she just had no space for the relationship anymore because she was just busy making money uh pay the bills and taking care of the children um and they went through a major major um breakout where they were on the verge of divorce uh, but he told her you take the time you need you take all the time you need to just find yourself fix yourself and please come back better you know, so she went to Bali, she did all the things, uh, and for six months, she was just taking care of herself. He was there with the grandmother, they were taking care of the children. So allowing the other to have some time, and that would require logistical, you know, um, changes or, or actions, like concrete stuff, like taking care of the children, taking care of the groceries, uh, so that you can explore yourself. You can go to your gym class tonight, you can go to your dance class, you can go to your piano class. Um, so yeah. That, that's one of the things. My partner uh, is fantastic and is very supportive. We have no children yet, but he absolutely encourages me to do things and vice versa. Uh, I often go traveling by myself, for example, and I come back just so rich of experiences and we have so many things to share and it creates also distance, which is healthy between us. I'm about to go to Europe, for example, and I'm going to go for two months to see my clients and see my friends. And this is good for us. And I know people who've lived I've got a friend, she's um, Dutch, and her parents have been married for 40 years. Dad lived between developing countries because um, he works in NGOs, and they had four children, but they often lived separately for many, many months, and it's always worked out for, for them, and they have a, they, they created their own relationship. Sorry, I'm, I'm just a yeah, bit that... off topic now, but it's about creating the space for the other. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think that's well within the topic. It's kind of finding that... Um, what you were talking about earlier about having something individual to you, something that you can have to yourself that you don't necessarily have to do with your partner and you don't mm -hmm. have to spend every time with your partner is exactly. equally as important and helps maintain that passion and uh, maintain that relationship with them. Yes. And you want to create a sense of otherness. And that uh, is also what Esther Perel says very well is you want to see your partner as someone that you don't know entirely. You don't, you don't entirely know. You want to keep a part of mystery and a part of distance, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that kind of, I mean, that half answers, I think my next question, but I wanted to go into it a bit more in a bit more detail, which is if you kind of got your individual hobbies, your individual passions, um, your individual methods of, of self-discovery, they can be quite different between two individuals. How how do you navigate those differences, you know, where you almost can't relate to your partner at all as to what is meaningful to them? Does that ever occur? Yeah. Or in your experience, have you come across that? Yeah, it does. Uh, I don't think from experience, I think when people just have zero common ground except the kids um it's all the or the dog you know it becomes an issue i think it's really important to still have experiences together um and and, and shared hobbies and interests now it doesn't as you said it doesn't have to be everything and it shouldn't according to me but i have a lot of clients or friends who got divorced because they just shared zero zero um hobbies or common ground with their partner i think it's a bit of an issue um yeah 
you can be very different. You can be, you know, you can have a very um, calm and a very and a more excitable person. You can be different in terms of uh, a very um, emotional and rational guy together. Like, but I think it's important to have similar experiences. I mean, common experiences. That's- yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, how can couples reignite the passion in a relationship that might have become stagnant? routine how do you keep up that mystery perhaps that Esther Perel was talking about yeah um or communication are we talking about real communication and vulnerability um asking questions about their feelings and the other's desires you know um how was your day how are you actually what is your biggest fear at the moment um so it's showing really themselves um but at the same time, as I, as we said earlier, there's also reconnection with shared interests. So, um, you know, trying new hobbies, attending new events, exploring new places together, um, plan a surprise is also great. You know, plan a, a, a romantic trip away or cook a meal uh, or just do something a bit unexpected. Um, try having new sensations as well. Jump off a plane. I don't know. It doesn't have to be that extreme, but... <laughs> I think it's also about having new sensations together um, and spice things up it could be sexually. It's very important. Now it depends if the other person is willing to do so. Uh, you know, you can do plenty of things and, uh, you know, I'll go, well, go to a festival. First of all, that's not sexual, but you can do that. Or you can go to a swingers club to see how it is. You know, you don't have to do anything. I mean, I'm very like, just, just try different things. Um, and if it doesn't work out, seek professional help. Uh, you know, um, shouldn't happen on, in, in the last resort. I think uh, it's often too late when it happens. Thankfully, there is a huge democratization now of, of therapy. And so people are less ashamed of going. But I still think that it's not the majority of people. And it can really do miracles, therapy. Yeah, Because it opens the therapy. communication channel through a third party. Exactly, exactly. And sometimes we don't, I mean, we're not, we're not the best at communicating, especially with our partners, I think, and people that we're in a romantic relationship with. So having that third party assist us through that communication process and supervise us while we're doing it um, to make sure things uh, maintain, uh, continue to be healthy can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I cannot stress enough. I think it's open communication. It's about finding the right distance between shared experiences individuality, connectivity, um, you know, and, um, and yeah, new experiences together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, that kind of brings us to the end of, um, our, uh, main segment. And I might move on now to our practice slash habit experiment debrief, uh, in which we talk a little bit about how to apply everything we've talked about and, and, and in, into some kind of practice, into some kind of how our audience can use it in our, in their daily lives. Um, so Marjorie, what is a practice um, that you have either done yourself or you would recommend to a client to improve um, and cultivate your romantic passion? Yeah, I think um, desire is something that we own, right? And we can desire to turn ourselves on or off. So it is our individual responsibility to take care of it. And it starts with self-care. So if we want to desire, we have to activate it within ourselves. For women especially, um, I absolutely advise my clients to nurture their femininity and then luscious women, right? Taking care of yourself, take a bath, go to the hairdresser, do your nails, feel pretty, feel sexy, masturbate, do whatever you want just to awaken your senses. 
um, it's the development of eroticism. Feel alive because eroticism is not only sexual, it's about being connected to everything around us and see the world with curiosity and marvel at things. Uh, if you manage to ignite that thing within you, um, it will surely have an influence on your relationship. If your husband is not responding after six months, there is an issue, but he should be. Um, it's really about nurturing an as uh, a vision of curiosity and excitement about life. And it could be sensorial, it could be cooking, it could be for having a nice glass of wine. Mindfulness comes into play here. Um, just enjoy everything. Every, enjoy the food you eat, enjoy the shower, you know, enjoy touching, enjoy touching your partner, just like this on the cheek, you know. This is, for me, erotic life. It's just pure pleasure, the pursuit of pure pleasure. And this is something we have issues sometimes in our Anglo-Saxon societies. And I think Latins maybe, I mean, as French people or, or Spanish, I think we might be able to to know how to do this a little bit more. I feel like, and that in Australia, as I said, life is, is quite, it's a great life, but it's also quite expensive and we have to work hard. And there's definitely an influence of this British heritage, stiff upper lip, you know, stiff upper lip, sorry. Um, and and it's about trying to learning to chill and to enjoy enjoy life yeah yeah so how do you how do you kind of tap into that um that eroticism that that femininity how how do you begin to go about that what's well, a practice I, that people can do uh as i said i think it's really about um taking care for women for example of their femininity um you know um uh, you know go have Go to the hairdresser, do your nails, paint your nails. I don't remember who that is. I think that was Simone de Beauvoir, who's a famous philosopher, said a woman should have her nails painted until she's oh. 90 or until she dies. Um, you know, just just feel sexy. Nurture that. Um, it's very attractive. And this is also something I see as a matchmaker. There's so many women who forget that aspect of themselves, you know, who forget to nurture um, this part of this sexiness. Um so and and uh, I can help them doing that. Absolutely. What are three good things about this practice? Uh, I think it becomes very appealing to men. Um, if you're able to being take like sorry, being able to take care of yourself is not being selfish. It's actually about setting the right boundaries, but you can give you can give more uh, if your well is full. But you have to take you have to feel your own well first, right? Um, so I think, yeah, it makes you more appealing. It makes you more giving, makes you more available when you partner and you attract people. And what are the challenges um, with this practice? Well, it's about always foreseeing enough space for the collective and the couple. Um, and I think one of the most the biggest challenges that we have today is how to navigate between individuality and, you know, the couple, the relationship. It's not easy. Uh, and this is also why we see other forms of relationships developing, like living apart together, for example, you know, um, where people don't want to be together full time because they want to keep that space to themselves and enjoy just the best moments together. Uh, it's got of you course. know negative aspects as well it's not easy especially when you tend to age where you 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 would like to have a spouse that also going to take care of you so it's, it's going to be a problem i think in the long run but there's an emergence um of, of other forms of living to combine those yeah. two aspects of life 
Yeah. And like you said, it's kind of, um, you know, when you're kind of taking care of yourself, it doesn't have to be, you know, an explicitly sexual act. It can just be, you know, enjoying the act of cooking or the Absolutely. act of painting your nails, the act of just feeling good within yourself. Yes, yes. And just enjoying everything you do and try to put pride and, and excitement. It's not easy. It's not possible every day, but you should try just to be connected to all your senses. Uh, it's be kind to yourself. Yeah. Do you feel like um, another barrier I would imagine is um, kind of a lack of confidence in oneself or a lack of self-esteem, I think would probably be if, if you if it's kind of a low to begin with and when you're starting off, you feel a bit silly. How, how do you kind of get over it? How do you get over that? I think there's some point where you have to just put yourself first and say, fuck it, I'll just do it. I don't care. There's a little bit of a fucking attitude to have. Uh, whereas like, I don't care about what people think. I'm just going to do my thing. Um, and when you do that, people, you know, start following and it's, it's quite appealing. Like, um, yeah, I think that's some point you're going to be like, you know, I, I, life is too short. I don't care. The good thing is the order you get, the less you care. So. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. I, I, I'm with you on that. Um, how, how do you find the time? um to look after yourself uh, we mentioned especially here in australia it's an issue but i'm sure globally you know it, it, self-care in anglo-saxon societies is not something that we prioritize it's kind of left to the side a lot how do we make it how, how do we make time for it how do you go about that it's a question of will i think you have to maybe within what's possible to do like if you've got children obviously you cannot have as much time as when you were single uh, with no children um, it has like implement some form of rituals as well. If you can try to be consistent with at least having, allowing yourself one or two hours a week or my friend, for example, she's got children, but every day she goes to Belmoral beach in Sydney and she meditates and that's her moment. And it doesn't last. It doesn't have to be very long. It's maximum an hour. She has to put the effort though. She wakes up earlier. That means that she has to be even more organized. You know, she can't stay up too late, That this moment is hers and it changes her entire day. And it's, it's changed her as a wife, it's changed her as a mother. So it's Absolutely. about discipline and, and some form of commitment to yourself as well. Definitely. Um, so kind of, it's, it's, it's almost about prioritizing um, that and making sure that you reorganize your time so that you do have time for it um, yeah. because it is important. Yes, but if you want to be a good parent, you shouldn't feel guilty about putting yourself first in some situations or putting your relationship first. Um, yeah, as I said, uh, there is too few people who nurture their relationships um, in, for the for the, for the it's because they think it's going to be better for the children because they feel guilty about you know taking a few days off by themselves. I actually really believe that healthy and in parental in love are so much you know better for kids. Um, and there's a lot of people who completely forget about themselves once they have children, you know, and and this Absolutely. is not good. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. How would this, based on kind of your experience or perhaps what you've noticed from your clients, do you have any recommendations of another practice or a habit to be combined um, with this kind of experience of, of tapping into your uh, of self-care um, and, and that might improve it? Yeah, I think, well, I don't know if this is responding to your question, but one of the um, biggest learning that I've had as a matchmaker was that 
what women think is appealing to men is not always what they think it is. And this is going to be maybe come as quite shocking, but we have now, thankfully, all this independence and all this freedom and all this education. No, but I've seen too many women who are extremely successful at work, um, yet when they go on a date, they take their work persona with them and they are the same person as they are at work. And um, it has become a real issue, you know, and um, it sort of sometimes feel a little bit castrating as well and men feel intimidated and it's about reestablishing a right harmony between men and women because I think everyone is a bit lost nowadays in the game, you know, um, and it's been so challenging. Um, feminism has brought a lot of amazing advancements, but at the same time, we still need some specific roles and expectations. I think that's my vision and it might come as very old fashioned, but we, women want a real men and men want a feminine women, you know, so it's all about reminding us that. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of our practice slash habit experiment debrief. Um, and I might now move on to our open mic section where I let you have kind of a mini TED talk about um, whatever you feel is important to say uh, to our audience in order to conclude our episode today. Um, so Marjorie, it's your soapbox. Um, what did you what did you have to say? Well, I think we've covered most of the things, um, to be honest. Uh, I really cannot stress enough the importance of self-care. Absolutely. Managing, I mean, finding some time, some time for oneself. It's very important. Um, nurturing for women, especially their femininity, you know. Um, letting the men take um, lead if they want to. Um, and, um, yeah, just, just chill and enjoy life and really try to nurture in every bit and aspect of your life this erotic, this sense of eroticism, which could be just an enjoying a good glass of wine, uh, painting your nails, um, and uh, just have a good laugh and, and be chill. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's it's a bit light, but I think we've covered pretty much everything, so. No, absolutely. I think I'm going to go get my nails painted after this. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much um, for chatting to us today, Marjorie. Where can our audience members find you? So I've got my, my agency, which is called ML Introductions. ML is Marjorie Liberal, so mlintroductions.com. And you can find me in Europe and Australia, uh, either through coaching sessions or if you're interested in matchmaking and find a suitable partner, I can also plan an interview with you. Um, I've got lectures all over the world and I work with a lot of matchmakers also. Life Management Absolutely. Science Labs would Thank like you to acknowledge so much that for chatting with me today on the traditional really lands of the Wurundjeri Thank you, people. Thank you. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show.